Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alpazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499 9526. Of course, you stick a 225 in front of there. Get you to us from anywhere in the continental United States. That's right. And whoever calls from the furthest distance, you just let our producer know where you're calling from, and we'll get a Agco t-shirt. Shipped out Monday morning, USPS. Absolutely. All we need is your information. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You happen to be in the Baton Rouge area. We, of course, love to hear from you as well. Oh, yeah, exactly, because right now is a perfect time to call. we got plenty of time today to answer your question or questions. That's right. However many you got. There you go. Hey, <laughs> multiple questions invited. <laughs> there you go. 499-9526 is the number. That'll get you right straight to us, and we'll try to help you out. Just in case you don't get around to calling in or you just don't care to be on the radio. Or maybe something occurs to you after we've gone off the air today. That's right. You can still get your questions answered. All you have to do is go to our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. That will get you to our site. There is a contact bar on every page. You can Send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get an answer back within 24 hours, sometimes sooner. Depends on. Yeah, most of the time, a lot sooner because generally I'm sitting at a computer, whether I'm at home or at work. And whenever I get a chance, I try to go in there and answer my email. So generally, several times a day, I do answer them. So normally within a couple hours, you can get a reply. Right. And should you happen not to get one, go back, check the return address, mm-hmm. and then resend it to us because. If the return address is wrong, we can't get it back to you. Well, that's right. If I send it back and it just pops back not known at this address or something like that, well, that's about as far as I can go. So right. if you hadn't gotten a reply within 24 hours, be sure to send it again because I never ignore email. I always answer every single one that I do get. So if I hadn't gotten it, it's because I didn't receive it or I just couldn't reply to you for some technical snafu. <laughs> <laughs> hey, while you're on the site, take a look around on the detailed topics and all the other good things on there. Put one on this morning on driving on a flooded street. That is a good article. It is, and folks, I don't think, realize the definition of a flooded street. Many people consider flooded is when water starts coming into the car, the engine dies, or something like that. But it's not how much water will hurt your car. Almost it's how little water can hurt the car. Exactly. I'm talking probably six to eight inches of water can do irreparable damage to many, many, many cars. And that's because when you're driving along through the water, there's actually a surge that takes place. Uh And when the bumper hits the water, pushes through the water, it actually creates a surge. The engine compartment is open underneath. So that surge rises up into the engine compartment, washes over the top of the transaxle and, and the engine. All transmissions are vented to the atmosphere because they've got petroleum in them. And that water will wash over that transmission, go right in that vent. Now you got water in transmission. Right, and that is detrimental to a transmission. That is going to kill that transmission for absolutely sure. It's just a matter of when. It's not a matter of if because all of the clutches and the clutch material in a transmission are bonded with a water-soluble glue. Because they're running in petroleum all the time, they can't use a petroleum-type glue, so they use a water-soluble glue. Uh-huh. Once that water gets in, it's just a matter of time before it dissolves those, and when it does, the transmission is going to fail. And if you got it out fast enough, you could maybe – possibly get by with it but chances are it's going to be too little too late but certainly if you leave it in there you can have a major issue most definitely you you can go from a simple rebuild to a complete <laughs> unit that's just right because of water and how long it's been in there well if it starts to rust the gears and rust the solenoids up which it will do exactly then you got a much bigger problem even still and even if it doesn't get in transmission or it's not limited to the transmission because you've got a differential on a rear-wheel drive vehicle it's also vented to the atmosphere right it runs in a petroleum oil also and it has to be vented right 
Because it builds pressure that as it's That water is going to emulsify that lubricant, and it's an extreme pressure lubricant, so damage is going to start occurring almost immediately. Some of the other things that flood water can really damage, and you may not ever attribute to that, is a starter. Huh? You're driving through the water. Generally, the starter is one of the lowest things on the engine. When that starter goes underwater and water gets into it, probably not going to fail right then. Right. It's probably going to fail three to six months later. It's designed to be water resistant. Resistant is yes. what I was looking for. But it's not, not waterproof. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and on and on and on, wheel bearings and so on. So I absolutely guarantee it will be cheaper to back up, go the other way. If you got to, call a wrecker. That's I mean, it. go oh, rent a card. Wait. <laughs> You're not going to come out ahead when you drive through high water and we see it just every day. And most people, because they make it through, they figure, oh, everything's okay. And the problems are going to start manifesting three to six months later. Exactly. And like you say, it doesn't really contribute back to, hey, wait a minute, I went through that high water or went through the water the other day when it yeah, rains. So many bad. times they don't even remember doing exactly. it. Exactly. It's sort of like being exposed to radiation. If you're exposed to radiation, you're not going to die that day, but you may have all kinds of maladies down the road that who knows what's going to happen. Exactly. Depending on the size dose you get. And it's the same thing with going underwater. It just what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And we can't say when, but it, it will. Say, it's going to come. <laughs> That's it. It will. So a good article to read may help you out and save you a whole bunch of money, help you prevent you from making a big, big mistake. Hey, we're going to go to our phone lines. We've got Keith online. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, guys. Hey, good morning. I've got an 04 Mercury Mountaineer. The air conditioner cools fine like it's cold. Yes, sir. But when you turn the blower on one, two, three, or four, like the same amount of air is coming out, no increase in the pressure. Let me ask you, Keith, can you hear the fan physically yeah. speed up? Yeah, it's just the air like doesn't come out. Up. Yes, sir. The that air is just barely coming out. Yes, sir. That's almost always a problem called the mode door. And Ford has had a number of problems with that. It's a plastic door that actually ducks the air between defrost and the floor and the windshield and all those sorts of things. And what it does, being a piece of plastic, it gets a few years old, it breaks. And when it breaks, the little actuator turns it, but it doesn't move it. And so it blocks the airflow. And you can hear the fan speed up, but the air doesn't come out. What yeah. you might do, just to kind of confirm it, Keith, is go out, turn it on, and reach down at the floor and see if there's some air coming out down there, and reach up at the windshield and see if there's some air coming out up there. Because the air is well, coming the out somewhere. The defroster, I mean, when you have it on air conditioning, mm -hmm coming out to the froster at the top. Yeah, there you right. go. Well, see, that mode door is jammed or broken, and it's just not coming out the right place. That's why you can't feel it. A lot of times it actually breaks the case also. Yeah, real big deal to fix, unfortunately, Keith, because you got to go in and take the evaporator case out. Ford doesn't sell just the door. They sell the entire case, and you got to pull the dash out to get the case out. Now, if you go on the internet, there are some people who claim they can cut a hole in the side of the case and go in. If you want to do something like that yourself to get by, that's fine. But a shop is not really allowed to do stuff like that because it's kind of butcher work. They're just not allowed to yeah. go in and butcher your car up like that. But there are people who have done that. They'll go in and cut a hole inside the case rather than pull the dash out, move the door where they want it, and duct tape it back up. That might be an option for you. But to bring it to a shop to get it repaired properly, it's going to be real expensive because the dashboard's got to come out and the evaporator case has got to come out and you got to replace that broken door. By the time you get done, you can see the back of the firewall. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's a pretty uh, in-depth deal. Pretty big deal. Well, it's almost 10 years old. I just ain't mm -hmm. spend that much money I on it. I understand. Right. Well, like I said, go on the Internet and you'll find articles on how to cut holes in the case and all that sort of thing. And you can get you can move it where you want it and tape it up and 
put some screws through it and jury rig it. Not the right way to do it, but I do understand. You know, we're talking well, I, a lot of money I one be way. I doing it. I'll just have to turn the rear air on, I guess. <laughs> I'm not going to spend a lot of money on it. I'm not going to spend any money on it. I understand. Like now, one thing, Keith, sometimes we can go in and maybe just get a hold of the door well enough to move it to a more desirable position and fix it in that position. For instance, if we could move it to the vent position where more air is blowing or maybe put a combination of vent and windshield, that way you still got some defrost, you still got some vent. It's possible something like that could be done without doing a full repair. But that's okay. almost always the case, and it's just kind of a pitiful design. I don't know. They've never recalled it or offered any kind of solution for it, but that's one of the things that happens on these wonderful cars they build today. Well, I might, you know, bring it to y'all, and y'all can check that out. Well, it wouldn't take very long to look at it and see what could be done, if anything. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. All right, Keith. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would love to have you. Why don't you go give us a call? And that's kind of, I don't know, I guess – at one time, you had like a little metal door with a cable of some sort that would pull and never really broke. I no. had a 55 Chevrolet. It was still working pretty well. <laughs> car, I got it. Car I, 60 years old. I 68 Ford at the house. Yeah. And still had the cables in it. Right. Now they got little actuators, which are little motors, <laughs> and the little motors move doors, which move things that the computer can control. Right. And I guess it's just kind of where we are, but... And they are sort of nice because you can get stuff like dual zone climate control and all this kind of stuff. But there is a huge price to be paid. I was reading some service data on the 2013 Ford Focus, and they said there are over 275 actuators wow. on that car. And it processes over two and a half gigabytes of information an hour. That's amazing. <laughs> 70 modules and computers on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's the world come to, huh? Well, I mean, hey, it's great. It's cool. I mean, it's got... Backup cameras. This oh, guy, yeah, I'm sure. In dash navigation. I mean, it's real cool stuff. But it's just you got to know when you buy it, it's gonna break one day. And when it breaks, hold on. That's <laughs> it. Because this ain't anything you ever gonna be able to fix yourself. And boy, it's gonna cost you a fortune. Yeah, you know, it's not like the the cars of yesterday when you could work on it yourself. That's right. More and more and more. You just gotta go somewhere, and when you it. do, it's gonna cost you a fortune to get it fixed. Hey, we're gonna take a quick little break and get back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan. Dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I'm up the creek. So, what did you do? I maxed out all my credit cards, sold my stocks, my house, and my boat so I could travel the world before the world ended kept my 85 mustang though well one thing i can recommend is to take your car in for regular maintenance at agco automotive by taking care of your car you'll save money in the long run by not having to pay for huge repairs and with the money you save you can pay down some of that debt if you want to learn more about why agco is the place to go visit agcoauto.com that's a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o.com there's one other Big problem. I sold all my vital organs on a website in Uzbekistan, and now someone named Aziz keeps showing up on my caller ID. Well, hmm. lay low, brother. Lay low. Well, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. Got all our lines wide open. And we're... Got- 
plenty of time to answer your questions. That's right. Mines are relatively fresh at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't clouded over just yet. That's it. <laughs> we were talking just a second ago about the new technologies on cars. And a lot of times, I guess it seems like we beat up on new cars quite a bit. I'm just trying to make people aware of what they're getting into. But there are certainly good technologies out there. Oh, there is. And some of the things that just immediately pop into my mind is like siliconized undercoating, which a lot of people may not know what that is, but that's an undercoating they apply to the cars nowadays. And if you can remember back not too many years ago, it was not uncommon for a car to rust out. Right. You start getting holes in the car, and you just really don't see that anymore. And that's largely in part to the siliconized undercoating that spring in the cars and the galvanized metals that they're using and so on and so forth. So that is certainly an improvement doesn't cost a huge amount, doesn't give any problems, and has a huge benefit to the driver. Right. And on and on and on, there are things like that. The interiors that they're using, some of the materials, some of the nylon fabrics and all, hold up a lot better. At one time, you could almost expect to have to put a set of seat covers in your car. If you kept a car 8, 10 years, you probably have some holes in the seat because they're made out of cloth. (laughs) (laughs) Now they're made out of all kinds of nylon fibers and what have you. And I know, like, my truck is 11 years old, and right. the seats still look fine in it. You right. Know, they're not worn out. And, of course, the leather seats even tend to hold up better than that. And a lot cases. of wear and tear. You do see a few vehicles that come in. The seats are just torn up just from excessive use. You know, maybe somebody uses it to make short trips with all day Right. Long. So they're constantly in and out, in and out, in and out. That tends to wear them down, but not near as fast as they used to. That's right. So that's another technology has proven real, real beneficial to customers. Certainly, I don't think anyone would argue electronic ignition, the electronic ignition over the old points and condensers that we used to have. Most definitely. They don't cost you a whole lot when they break. It's a relatively inexpensive technology that holds up very, very well. Right. For the most part, the electronic ignition portion of your car is probably going to last about 100,000 miles before it gives you any problems. Some well, well beyond that. I've seen a lot of them just go to life in a car and never really have any kind of problem with the ignition and system. It just depends on what you, how you take care of it. Yeah, odd sensor now and then right. may go out. But you remember back when they had points and condensers and such oh, yeah, as that. Every, about every, every 10,000 miles, you were putting that in there, it was going to quit running. That's it. <laughs> it wasn't optional. So they have certainly made vast strides on cars and some things are much much better i think that the way at least the way that i try to measure quality is something that cuts costs and helps people as opposed to something that just costs more right because that's what we're starting to see nowadays is things that really have very very limited amount of benefit to the average driver but cost a huge huge amount of money And I think if they could make these optional, and the folks who want them could buy them, but the guys like me who don't want them. (laughs) And if you explain to the customer up front, Mm -hmm. this is what it's going to cost when it breaks, or this is what you intend to spend later down the road versus this vehicle that does not have this. Right. Yeah, they would be more educated, more aware of what's going to happen down the road. Well, but you wouldn't sell a whole lot of cars. Well, there you go. (laughs) See, one way that we do sell cars is by offering new features that your old car doesn't have. Okay. And when you go into a new car showroom and you start looking around at the cars, the first thing, oh, look what this can do. It does this, it does this, it does this, it does that. And many times, wow, really? It's very exciting that it can do all these things. You say, well, yeah, I can see why that would be really handy. But the last thing in your mind is, well, one day all that stuff may break. 
and how much is it going to cost me to keep it working? And most people don't intend to keep a car over about eight or ten years. Well, when you're buying the car, for some reason, and I've seen this, I don't think this way, but apparently a lot of folks do. They said the average person intends when they buy the car to keep it less than five years. Uh huh. However, the reality is the average person keeps their car 11 to 12 years. Okay. So there's a divide. And what happens when you're buying the car, you're thinking, okay, yeah, I'm going to get this thing paid off, and then I'm going to buy me another one, and da-da-da-da-da. But when you start making those payments and you find out what a drag that is, and you finally make that last payment somewhere out there around 60 months, Six, 72 yeah. months down the road, right? you're really not quite as anxious to jump right back into that. Uh-huh. And so what happens, and that's kind of what causes an awful lot of problems, because people in their mind think, well, I'm not going to keep it that long, so I really don't have to maintain it that well because I'll get rid of it before it really gives me any problems. But and what happens, the six years go by, the car is now paid for. It's still running fine. Still running pretty good. And at this point, you really don't feel like coughing up that 35, 40 grand for another car. Right. Or maybe your situation's changed. You just don't have the 35, 40 grand to cough exactly. up for another car. And you look at what you're going to get for this one, and you say, wow. Yeah. Man, it depreciated I, that much in that amount yeah, of time? I've lost wow. 80% of my value here in five years and really don't have the money to couple of another one. I'm going to need to try to get a little more life out of this one. And of course, we get this all the time where people come in. And they've got a car with, say, 140,000 miles, and now they've got a major problem. And they say, wow, what, what can I do? Well, it's not what you can do now. It's what you should have done yeah, before. If we could have caught this thing back around 90 to 100, uh-huh. probably for a fairly limited amount of money, you could have prevented a lot of this stuff. But now your cooling system is totally corroded up. The radiator's leaking, the heater core's leaking, the head gaskets are leaking, the intake gaskets are leaking. Right. The transmission is slipping, it's setting a code for internal slippage, the fluid is burnt, it's consuming a bunch of oil. Man, you really ain't got a lot here to work on. Exactly. Power windows have quit working, da 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 da. So at this point, you really got yourself in a pickle, and there's not a whole lot can be done. Basically, what you do is take this as a lesson. Yeah, take this as a very expensive lesson. And move on. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it really don't, it doesn't have to be that way because by just a little bit of care with sure. the car. And the best time to do that, of course, is right from day one. Go uh-huh. ahead and adopt a philosophy, I'm going to care for this car so I can keep it a long time. But it's really not too late. Even when you start to approach 100,000 miles, it's probably not too late to turn the tide. Right, with today's technology, right, that things will last a lot longer than they used to last. Well, I heard this morning, and I, I can't quote the numbers, but I think they said there's almost 85,000 people in the United States over the age of 100, which is way, way up. It was wow. about 20,000 not very many years ago. Okay. So people are living a whole lot longer, and cars are living a whole lot longer. Sure. And necessarily, because they cost a whole lot more, they have to live longer. So the thing is, don't wait until you got all these problems because so many things can be headed off. Right. Little now will save a lot later. Well, and that's the whole definition of maintenance because you got a lot of people who are kind of touting things like, oh, they'll try to say an injector flush or they'll upper intake cleaning. And people go in, they spend $300 and don't get any benefit at all. Or maybe the car is even worse when they get through with it. So they say, wow, I ain't doing that again. Right. I can see the reluctance there. Yeah. And there's a lot of that. So you got to be able to know the difference in real maintenance, stuff and like a proper transmission service, maybe changing the fuel filter on cars that have an external fuel filter. A lot of them don't anymore. Right. Changing the cabin air filter, changing your oil on a regular basis. 
These are things that cost a very little amount of money, but they prevent things that cost a whole lot of money. Sure. If you want to figure it out, don't change the oil in one for <laughs> for a while and see what happens. Yeah, you know, we're getting 07s, 08s, 09s. Well, we get them in all the time, and they've got some kind of a major oil leak. And the reason they've got a major oil leak is because the seals have all gotten hard, and it's because the oil hasn't been changed. Lack of oil changes. And so now they're faced with a rear main seal, which can be a very expensive job. The transmission is going to have to come out at very least. Sometimes the engine has to come out to repair that. And it's something that a little bit more frequent oil changes would have prevented. Right. So don't wait until you got the problem to try to address it. Let's just go ahead and head this off. And... What's the worst case scenario if you go ahead and maintain a car real well and you do decide to sell it at five or six years, you're probably going to get a whole lot more for it. Sure. Because it's, it's going to run better. Exactly. You can show the guy your maintenance record. Say, hey, look, here's what's been done on the car. Right. So you're probably going to get a lot more for the car when you do trade. You're going to have a lot less problems along the way. And should you happen to have to keep it after that amount of time, you still have got a car that is in a lot better shape than it would have been. Well, that's right. You, you've, if you wouldn't have done anything at all. You've covered all your bases. Exactly. And it is, just makes a whole, whole lot more sense. And go on the website, read the definitions of maintenance, read the things that are maintenance, and don't fall for all the hoopla because there's a lot of places, and I don't want to paint anybody with a broad brush, but there's a lot of places that specialize in high, high profit items that they push as maintenance. Sure. Which aren't maintenance at all. Exactly. In fact, many times these things aren't even necessary, and many times they they actually can do harm. Well, like a transmission flush. Right. Does absolutely no good may actually damage your transmission, but it's real easy to do, and they make a lot of money doing it. Sure, they can get a low-paid technician to do it. Well, yeah, and yeah, absolutely. They don't have to pay him a whole lot and make a whole lot of money on top of it. Well, that's right. So you got to kind of know what things need to be done, when they need to be done, or what makes a whole lot more sense is find a good, trusted shop, bring your car in once a year for a general inspection, and have them tell you what needs to be done. Exactly. And that will save you from having to learn all this information and try to figure out yeah, some folks, they like to self-direct their service. They like to get in the owner's manual, figure uh-huh. out what needs to be done, when it needs to be done. They'll keep a little chart. I know it's a lot of guys who are engineers. They tend to think that way. That's just the way right. their mind works, and they really enjoy it. And yeah. that's great. That's probably the ideal. But most people probably are not going to want to do all that. So you just find a good shop that you know you can count on, you know you can rely on, and have them advise you. Go in once a year for a general inspection. You're never going to be very far off on any of your maintenance needs. Exactly. Hey, we got to take a quick little break. Bruce, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I really thought the world was going to end. So what did you do? You see, Mike, I quit work and streaked through the cafeteria. I maxed out my credit cards, my grass is waist high, and I can't find my dog. I think the line I bought might have eaten him. And my car won't run. Hmm. Well, first, take your car into Agco Automotive so it'll get fixed right the first time. Then take it in for regular maintenance to save money in the long run by keeping your car in good shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Well, Mike, there is one more thing. My neighbor DVR C-SPAN, and I promised I'd spend Sunday afternoons watching it with him. Now... I wish the world really would end. Sorry, uh, can't help you there, buddy. Stop noise off the 
Hey, welcome back. If you join us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, three tools to try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we're going back to our phone lines with Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Yes, sir. I've got a question about, a, I recently acquired an 09 Camry. Okay. And don't know, have any idea what kind of oil they were using in it or anything else. Yes, sir. And I changed to what I normally use and everything else. Mm -hmm. And it takes a little oil. Yeah, uh, that will happen sometimes, Mr. Bruce, if you change the brand of all the cars being using. But, you know, in your situation, I don't know what else you could do because you don't know what was in there before. No, I don't have any idea. And uh, my question is, uh, will that stop after a it while? It may. I've seen it go both ways. It just kind of depends. I had a, in fact, I had a little Toyota, and I was using a certain brand of oil. I'm not going to mention a name. And it never used a drop of oil and somebody talked me into a different oil. They said, oh, man, this is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I start, I changed it, and this thing started using two quarts between a change. And the next couple of oil changes, I went back to the original oil, and it did take up and stop. And eventually, by the time I got rid of the car, it wasn't burning any oil at all. Now, if you continue to use the same oil, I just don't know for sure. Most people, I would think, say that it will eventually take up. I, I really don't know why it even does that. There's no mechanical reason why it does it but whatever it changes in i would think would eventually get back with the new oil i mean as long as you're using a good oil and you're changing on a regular basis i don't see where any permanent damage is done it's just something has changed maybe it builds a certain coating on the rings or something i just don't know what actually occurs that causes that but i know for a fact it does occur i think what i'd do in your situation mr bruce is just continue to change all on a real regular basis and just monitor the situation and hopefully it will take up but it really doesn't take but uh, maybe a quart between changes. Yeah, and that's not the end of the world. You know, a lot no, of newer no, cars no, actually do I that. I can live with that, but I just it just seems to me no more miles than the car had on it. Yes, sir. Has on it. Uh, it shouldn't do that. Yes, sir. And a lot of the newer cars do use some oil. And if you ask the manufacturer about it, they'll tell you, oh, well, that's normal. I said, well, now, why is it normal now? It never was normal before. <laughs> well, I, I got to uh, talk to you before, and you've had it in your shop. Uh-huh. 07 GMC pickup, it doesn't take a drop. Yes, sir. Right. I got an 02 and a little 4.3 in it, and I doesn't use a drop of all, none at all. Yeah. And the internal combustion engine has really not changed measurably in the last 75 years. It's still pistons. It's still rings. It's still cylinders. It's all the same stuff. And really, oil hasn't changed a huge amount. I mean, they've got new additives, they've got new things in it, but the basic product hasn't changed a great deal. So I don't know why it's acceptable for them to start burning oil now, and they never did in the past. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it did. Mm -hmm. As you said, it was full of oil when I bought it, and but it little by little it would go down. Do yeah. you have any idea if who bottles Toyota oil around here? I know at one time the Toyota brand oil was being made by ExxonMobil. I wouldn't swear that that's still the case, but I know it was coming from that Port Allen refiner. I knew a guy that worked there. He said they bottled it right there. Uh, it came out in Toyota cases, so it was an ExxonMobil product. And I don't know, I don't want to go out on a limb and say that's definitely it because that kind of stuff goes out on contract. What Toyota does is they send a specification to a refinery or to several refineries, and whoever will make it for them to their specifications at the lowest price is who they're going to go with. Yeah, and they change uh, out every so many years. Yeah, the oil, Toyota filters mm -hmm. are, are real reasonable. They're right in line with everything else. Yeah, Toyota but is pretty reasonable on a lot of their maintenance part. The oil, they don't know when to quit charging for it. <laughs> Yeah, and on some of their oils, they're really not that out of line. I know the Toyota synthetic oil is pretty reasonable. We actually buy that from Toyota for the Toyotas, like the Zero W20, 
because I can buy it cheaper from Toyota than I can from Mobile One in 55-gallon drums. I can buy it about a quart cheaper than I can buy it in a 55-gallon drum from Mobile One. I hope I don't need a 55-gallon yeah. drum. <laughs> well, that lasts me about a month. So. <laughs> uh, well, no, it would last me two lifetimes. There you go. So, all righty. Well, thank you. All right, Ms. Bruce. All right, sir. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would certainly love to have you. Why don't you go and give us a call? And that's a phenomenon that some people have experiences as the newer cars burning oil. Right. And if you bring it back and complain, for instance, let's say you got a 2013 model car and it burns a quarter oil between oil changes, maybe a quarter oil over 3,000 miles. Yeah. They're not going to do one thing about that. No, they're going to tell you that's perfectly normal. They consider that acceptable. In fact, from what people are telling me, if it's much less than about a quart every 500 miles, they're not willing to do much about it. That seems way excessive to it me. It does to me as well. Some of them, they said a quart in a thousand, they'll address it. But you figure when they're recommending 7,000 mile oil change in a right. and if it's burned a quart every thousand miles, it's out of oil by You the ain't time. got seven quarts oil there. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to run out of oil at some point in time. Right. So I don't know how to get by with that. And I mean, all that oil has to go somewhere. It's going into the catalytic converter, which hopefully is burning it up. But some of it's going out tailpipe, so I don't know how to get that past the EPA. But um, You got me. Yeah, they sure won't address that problem. And I know I've had a number of people call me and bring their cars in saying right. they're consuming what I consider excessive amounts of oil, and they just and really not willing to address it. Yeah, if it's not leaking out on the ground or you know yeah. on the side of the block or something anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, got to be going somewhere. Oh, well, that's the way it goes. <laughs> hey, going back out for us. Mike, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a 2010 Camry. Yes, sir. I had the oil changed by the dealer mm-hmm. a couple of times, yes, and sir. I had to change the maintenance shop. Yes, sir. Anyway, when I, he gave me the leftover, I looked up the, in the manual, and it recommended 4.7 quarts. Okay, sir. In that engine, I said, a little four-cylinder yes, engine. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And he handed me... What was left over, I'd gotten mobile one. He had to move what was left over, and I noticed it was a small amount. It looked like it was less than change it than uh, the 4.7. Follow what I'm saying? Like it, it maybe just a tenth of a quart left than what he handed me. Yes, sir. So mm-hmm. I pull it, when I got home, I pulled a dipstick out, mm-hmm. and it was slightly above the dipstick, maybe an eighth of an inch above. Uh, Any problem? No, not at no. all, Mike. you got to remember, a dipstick is not a precision instrument. It's just a dipstick. And most likely what happened is that they were dumping the oil in, and oil is going to take a little while to run down. And if he dumped in 4.5 quarts and checked it, it was going to show low. He dumped in some more. It may have still showed a little low, so he dumped in some more. Now it shows full. But if it sat there for 15 minutes, it may be slightly over full because that oil takes a while to run all the way from the head down into the oil pan where it's getting checked. But, no, it's not going to hurt anything. I mean, you wouldn't want it three quarts over full, obviously, because the crankshaft's beating through it, creating problems. But a little bit over full, a little bit under full. It's, like I say, it's not a precision instrument. Yeah. They say 4.7 and you put five quarts, no harm, no oh, foul. Okay. But, yeah, no, I wouldn't be, particularly with Mobile One, you got great protects, a good, good product. But I would not be concerned with that at all. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Hey, thanks for calling, Mike. Bye-bye. Yeah. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And we got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, Lewis. I got a question. A guy I work with has a new 2012 but low miles pickup truck, and he drives it one mile each way to work and back. Mm. 
And I just, you know, I know that's going to be bad, but yes. I advise him to get a, a block heater, but I don't know if that's good advice. Joe, that's probably not going to be sufficient. I mean, it wouldn't hurt anything, but it's just not going to be sufficient. He's really just going to need to put some more miles on the th- Because what happens, even a block heater is only going to raise that engine temperature to probably 150, 175 degrees at most. It needs to get above the boiling point of water, which is 212 degrees. And see, all temperature gets up 250 to 275 when the engine is fully warmed. What that does, it boils the moisture and the contaminants, and they go out as steam, and the PC system sucks them out. But that's going to require some time to occur. So if he continues to drive it one mile at a time, he's eventually going to have some pretty bad issues. It's considered extreme service. So if nothing else, he needs to be changing that all every 3,000 miles religiously. And if it were me, I would be running a full synthetic oil because that's what it's going to require to hold up to those kinds of conditions. And better still, just go ahead and burn a little bit more gas and drive it around the block a few times. He really needs at least once a week to probably put a 20, 25-mile trip on it or longer. That's enough. Yeah, I would say I would like to see 25, 30 miles at least once a week. See, you're not only going to have engine problems, but stuff like the catalytic converter is not getting hot enough to flash. So you're going to start having converters fail on you. I mean, just on and on and on and on. A car is a lot like a person. And if a person adopts a sedentary lifestyle, they just kind of sit on the couch, they walk to the TV and back, maybe they walk to the refrigerator and back, what's going to happen to them? You be know? like me. <laughs> yeah, they're going down pretty fast. So, you know, they got to move around. Cars love to run, man. They like to get on that highway and go from here to Orlando, you know, 700 miles one time. I understand. That doesn't hurt them at all. So, yeah, the best advice you can give them is just try to drive it some more at least a couple times a week. And if he does that, he'll be okay. But tell him he really needs to realize that he's under severe service. So if he looks at the maintenance schedule, go to the severe maintenance schedule and follow that. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank hey, thanks you. for calling, Joe. Uh, bye-bye. bye 499-9526. number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Eye, we'd love to have you. Let's go ahead and take our next call. we got Tim online. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I've got a 2008 Avalon. Uh-huh. And doesn't seem to have any problems with it except first start it off in the morning or whenever it's cold. Mm-hmm. That'll be almost like what used to be a, what used to call a tappet sound in the engine. Okay. After driving maybe a mile, it seems to even out. It doesn't yeah. seem to come back again. Yeah. Tim, Lexus and Toyota have had some problems with that. And I believe as a TSB out, it's something to do with the cam sprocket making that noise. And I don't know if they've ever completely fixed the problem. They've revised that cam sprocket, and some people say it fixes it. Some people say it fixes it for a while and it comes back. They also acknowledge that it's not hurting the car, that it's just kind of part of it. And they seem to be right because I've seen those engines with an awful lot of miles on them and not have an issue with it. But I do know the noise you're talking about. Are you still under warranty of any kind, Tim? Yeah, I have an extended warranty on it. Yeah, there is a technical service bulletin out for that noise. And like I said, it involves the variable cam timing sprocket. I'm not sure exactly what all it is because most of those cars are still pretty new and they're still going back for warranty work. We haven't had to repair a good deal of them. But I had a guy email last week, and that's why I'm pretty familiar with the problem. I looked up the bulletin for him. There is a revised cam sprocket, and that should be under your warranty. Yeah, I even sat in the car with the service advisor. Mm-hmm. Drives a problem to him. He wasn't real familiar with it. And by the time we got through the end of the drive, it was gone. So Yeah, that's right. What you're going to need to do, Tim, I would say, hey, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to drop my car off this afternoon. I'm going to be back up here tomorrow morning when you open. And I want to have the technician and the service manager out here so I can show them the noise. 
and then crank up the corner and say, there, that's the noise. I want yeah. that fixed. I've thought of doing that, That's, but I've never had any problems. It evens it out itself. It does it almost every time. So I, I said, well, it maybe it's not a big problem. It's and really not, but if it annoys you, there is supposedly a solution, which may or may not be a solution. But i got to say, I've seen a lot of them make that noise for a few seconds. It goes away, and I don't know. If I couldn't get it fixed, I wouldn't condemn the car for just that one reason because I hadn't seen where it hurts anything. It's kind of like on the Chevy pickups when they first came out. I think it was Generation 3 on the 5.3, they had piston slap. And, man, everybody was concerned about it. GM says, hey, it's normal. It's a normal noise. It's not going to hurt anything. Well, those engines now out there have 250,000 miles. They're still running. So, apparently, they were right. Some engines just make a certain noise for a certain small amount of time, and you got a lot of stuff moving around, though. Yeah, it just sounds like a diesel. Uh, you know, with a, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like a diesel. I've heard people complain about that noise before, but I don't know that it's really a major issue. But that's the way you'd have to go about getting it fixed. Just have it there the night before and go out there and show them the noise. Yeah, well, I'm also worried that maybe the even after they fix it, it might be worse than it was before. Yeah. <laughs> I might rather live with it like it is. Yeah, that's yeah a you're going to have I, to take. I do understand. Okay, thank you for your All time right, this morning. Thanks, Carl, man. Bye-bye. We're going to take one more quick little break. Irvin, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. We have an anonymous caller here from the D.C. area. You're on the air. Uh, yes, Mike. I have some serious debt issues. Okay. Let's say I'm in charge of this really big company, and we have this deficit. You know, I thought with the world ending, we'd be okay, but that didn't happen, and I need some cash. I maxed out all my credit cards... But that barely made a dent. Well, sounds like you need to be on a strict budget. And the first thing I tell you is to make sure you're not wasting money on big-time car repairs. Regular preventative maintenance with Agco Automotive is the key to saving money in the long run and a good way to pay off debt. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Any other advice? You should look into selling your house and downsizing. I don't think I'm allowed to do that. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we've got Irvin's been patiently holding. Good morning, Irvin. Good morning. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for your show. Appreciate it. Well, thanks, Thank Colin. I have a 98 Crown Victoria, yes, and sir. I drive this car only on the weekends, mm-hmm. uh, usually to and from church and a couple of other places, so I don't put a lot of miles on it. But one of the things I've noticed recently when I get about 60 miles per hour and I, I think it's trying to shift into overdrive, there's a little shutter in the transmission, and I'm yes, wondering sir. whether there's something going on there. Do you have any ideas? Yes, that? sir. That's very common on that particular car, Irving, and that is called torque converter shutter. It's actually not going in overdrive. It's going into what they call lockup, which is very similar. The average driver doesn't know the difference. But what happens when it gets to a certain speed is there's a clutch inside the torque converter that locks, so it's one-to-one, and it doesn't slip any longer, and that gives you better fuel mileage. What occurs on the cars is that the fluid tends to break down over a period of time and when it does that clutch will start to chatter it feels almost like you ran over a cattle garden road just and it's just brief it's just for a few seconds normally what will take that out irving is to go in and do a proper service on the transmission and actually ford recommends servicing that transmission every thirty thousand miles and there is a special fluid made for it called mercon 5 which is a synthetic fluid that helps with that particular problem 
that fixes probably 90 to 95 percent of those problems. Now, if it's a severe problem or if it's going on for a long period of time, occasionally you would have to change the torque converter to get it out, but that's the rare exception. Most of the time, a proper service will take it out. Now, you don't want to flush. Be very, very careful because a lot of places are going to try to sell you a transmission flush. You want a proper service. That's why they drop the pan, retark the valve body bolts, put the right fluid, the right filter, and put it all back together for you. And I would be real surprised if that didn't cure that problem for you. All right. That's all right. good news. All, all right, Everett. Right, Thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. 499-9526. Number if you want to be part of the Automotive Iron. We've got Judy online. Good morning, Judy. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. I have a 2000 Toyota Sienna van. Mm-hmm. It has 290,000 miles wow. on it. Okay. It's been a real good car. Mm-hmm. But the starter has not been real reliable here lately. Would that be the starter or would that be something else? Well, would what's it actually doing, Judy? Well, it happens when you turn the key. It was dragging for a while, and then one morning I got in it and it didn't start. So my grandson came and mm-hmm. did something under there and got it to start. Yeah, again. just tapped on the starter and it would start. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it sounds like the starter. If you go on my website, just search the word starter. There's actually an article in there that shows you how to check a starter and all that. But with that kind of mileage, I'd be real surprised if it wasn't the starter motor itself. Now, what I would recommend to you, Judy, is to put a Toyota brand starter on. The reason being, that one lasted 290,000 miles and gave you almost zero problems. The rebuilt stuff you buy, like at a parts store, is just junk. You'll be changing them for the rest of your life. Every six months, you'll be putting a starter on. Well, I've got a new car, but I was trying to make it to 300,000 miles. It's a challenge in my life. <laughs> well, a starter is not that big of a deal. I mean, you, uh, yeah. 200 bucks or so, you probably put a starter on it, and then you got a car you could sell because, you know, you're not going to be able to sell it if it won't start. Do you think anybody would buy a car? With oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, you, you would be amazed at market for that car. You'd be amazed how much that car still bring at that many miles. Well, it's a great car. It really yeah. has been. I was just ready for something different. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the best reason to buy a new car, because you're ready for something different. But I want to use this one up. Okay, so go on to your thing. And yes, ma'am. There's starter. an article on it. It'll show you how starters work, explain the whole situation to you, show you how you can test it and all that. But like I said, I've seen people put the aftermarket rebuilds on there, and I mean, you are going to be miserable the rest of your life. You're not ever going to get over it, and you end up putting the Toyota starter back on anyway. So, so just go to the Toyota Toyota dealer and buy a starter. Or you can go to do it. We can put you a Toyota starter on. You don't have to go to a Toyota dealer. It's just if you're going to do it yourself, go there and buy it. Or just go to a shop that's going to use an original equipment Toyota starter. Are we talking about expensive or not expensive? A couple hundred bucks. That's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's worth the 10000 miles. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. All righty. Thank you, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And going back to the lives of Ron, good morning, Ron. Hey, good morning. My question is, I've got a 98 Chevy Express van with a 5.7-liter engine. Yes, sir. And the check engine light is on. Okay. And But when I get up to about 30, 35 miles an hour, it goes to flashing. Okay. Uh, well, if it flashes, it's a misfire. And that may be two different problems, Ron, but a flash is a misfire. Now, the reason it's flashing is because you cannot continue to drive it like that. Okay, Uh It's flashing to say stop, 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 stop. That's a whole other situation from just a check engine light. If you keep driving it, that's going to take the catalytic converter out at least, if not more. Because every time it misfires, a charge of gas goes through and hits that converter, and the cat temperature goes sky high. So... And what you're going to end up with is about $1,000 more than what you already got. What would, uh, the engine is a 
crated engine mm-hmm. that I had to put in there, and it only has about 3,000 Well, miles. I mean, it could be it's, something as simple as a bad spark plug wire or a bad right. spark plug right now, but again, if you continue to drive it, you're going to take the converter out, so you're going to still have the original problem, and then you have another 1,000 bucks for a converter, so something you got to get in there and get checked real quick. Now, if I, if I brought that in and y'all put it on the machine, you could tell exactly what it is? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. About what would that cost to run a test? Well, we charge $90 an hour, and we charge it for however much time we spend. So if I spend 10 minutes, it's $9. Spend a half hour, it's $45. I mean, it would be an hour or less for sure to find out. All right. Do you need to make an appointment? Oh, you better, because if you drop in, they will put you in the next available spot, but that could be three days, depending on how many cars got in. If you make an appointment, you're in and out the same day. Okay, well, thanks a lot. All right, sir. All right, Thank sir. you. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd certainly love to have you. And that's one of those things that a lot of times folks get a check engine light, and the car seems to run okay, but there is absolutely nothing that's going to turn that light on that's going to get better in time. Exactly, and just because the light goes out the next time you cycle the ignition, ignition switch mm-hmm. does not mean that the problem fixed itself. No. In fact, i got several articles on the site about why lights come and go like that. Uh-huh. Hey, we want to get on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go tell your friends, go to iTunes and give us a written rating. Yeah, we really appreciate it. I noticed we didn't get any last week, so I'm wow. a, little, a little put out by that. But hey, right. that's just the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give us a written rating that moves up and more folks can hear us. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.